What's incredible about what um, Sarah is initiating with Vermont Performance Lab is that it is extremely artist-centered. So it doesn't feel like we're just coming here, doing our work and leaving. We are now really becoming part of the community. Our classes are open to the public, and so anybody can come in and take class with us. We're asking people to hang around for rehearsal, give us feedback, and so that there's um, an investment on our part and on their part in terms of this particular project. That's dancer Adele Myers talking about the Vermont Performance Lab, which is run by Sarah Coffey. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Vermont Performance Lab, or VPL, is just that, a laboratory for artistic experimentation and community engagement. Begun in 2006, Vermont Performance Lab's mission is to support the creation and development of contemporary dance, music, and performance, while fostering meaningful connections between artists and the local community. VPL provides a residency where performing artists have access to studio space in a small rural Vermont community. There, artists can concentrate on research and experimentation while trying out performance ideas to small audiences through open rehearsals or work-in-progress showings. VPL is the brainchild of Sarah Coffey, who joined me in the NAA studio to share her thinking about creating contemporary dance and performance that grow through community engagement. I began my conversation with Sarah by asking her how she came to the idea of the Vermont Performance Lab. Well, Vermont Performance Lab really came out of my experience managing dance companies and also presenting work, realizing that there needed to be more time and space to make work. And when my family and I moved to Vermont in 2004, I began to look at the landscape there, and Vermont was a really interesting place to do this kind of work. You know, Vermont is often thought of as a, a retreat for artists or just a retreat for people in the, the beautiful landscape. But what we, I discovered was there was a really interesting, engaging community that was interested and open to experimental work. And so we have a lab, but we don't have a space, which is um, a way for us to combine resources in support of an artist. So we have partnerships with a number of organizations in our community, including a small liberal arts college, a grange, and a recording studio of our partners where we collaborate for space for these artist projects. Okay, explain how that works. Okay. I am a dancer. You're invited. I invite artists. I'm interested in dancers who are interested in working not just in side a studio, but who are interested in working in a community. So we're not, they're not necessarily making community-based work, but who are interested in the relationship between their work and a community and a place. So if I invite an artist, I, I say, I'd really like to talk with you about your work, and I'd like you to come up to Vermont. And the first visit is really a very exploratory visit, hearing them talk about what they're, the ideas that they're interested in. They may have a specific project. They might not have a specific project. And we really co-envision a project together that can take place in Vermont. And my hope is always that it will go well beyond Vermont, that it's not made only specifically for our community. So let's go back to the three spaces. Mm -hmm. How does that work? As the artist, do I then have a choice or am I put in one space or not? How does, how does, how does it, it work? work? How does it work? We've tested out a number of different models. So we've landed on a model 
that includes working with an artist over the trajectory of a year. So multiple visits over the course of a year, starting with a planning visit. And then we decide, okay, what does this artist need? So we always give some kind of studio support. Usually it's at least 10 days. Sometimes it's two weeks. Sometimes it's longer. So access to a dance studio for dance artists. For music artists, sometimes it's access to a recording studio. And recently, we've had a very exciting partnership with a Grange Association. Now, do you know what Grange Associations are? Explain what a Grange is. Yeah, a Grange Hall is owned by the Grange Association. And traditionally, it's been a group of farmers who have come together. And the Grange has a national presence here in D.C. There's a a national office, and the, the role of the office here is for advocacy for agriculture and farming. The national organization owns the building, but the community takes care of the building and really inhibits that building with programs. In most Grange Halls, there is a space for meals and convening and cooking and eating together, and then there's often an other space for dancing. And traditionally, it's been for square dancing and contra dancing. And so I was invited by our local Grange Association to think about bringing some of these dance residencies to that space. And we give an, a modest fee to the Grange to help support the work that they do. But really, what we do is open up that process to the community while the dancers are there. And we had the first residency were there with Emily Johnson, a Minneapolis-based choreographer there this summer. She was there working with composers and musicians, and it was just incredible. You would think, what does a Grange Hall have to offer contemporary dance? But really, it was a beautiful meeting. People came out. We could not have fit one more person into the space for the work in progress showing that we had of her work. And it's very exciting to be thinking about how we can work in different spaces and spaces that already exist. Sometimes the conversations about how we can support the research and development piece of choreographic research is so space heavy. And I think in our area in New England, we have underutilized spaces, such as this Grange Hall. Marlboro College is a liberal arts school, and the dance studio had been going virtually unused in the summertime. So we used the dance studio in the summertime. And now with the new partnership with Guilford Sound, we're able to support the music and dance collaboration by giving access to not just space but also technical support for the musical production. And rarely do you get to have a week or two as an artist to be in the same space like that to work simultaneously, have 24-hour access to the spaces. And what we found is that artists work, 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 work. <laughs> and and some time for swimming. Uh, <laughs> and, and those long yeah, summer yeah. days, I'm sure. Yeah, on air-conditioned spaces. <laughs> I mean, Vermont doesn't require a lot of air conditioning, but for dancers, it does get hot. Explain why you're drawn to dancers and performers who do work with the community. Well, I think it comes out of my interest and concern when I hear national presenters talking about the shrinking audience for dance. And I think we have to think in different ways how do we really want to cultivate an audience, a new dance audience, especially a new dance audience for sometimes experimental and and sometimes difficult work. That is really where I'm coming from. So an artist doesn't have to be making a piece that involves community participants in the work, but we're open to that also. But it can be about creating different kinds of entry points into the work. And what I found is that if audience members are part of somebody's process, they have direct access to the work. You know, sometimes you go to a performance and you feel so stupid. You feel, I don't know how to look at this. I don't know what I'm looking at. And that is so crushing to me to think that 
that could happen. And I feel as having been a presenter and a manager of, of a dance company, I've had the privilege of having access to that piece of the process that has really fed me as a dance aficionado and to be able to figure out ways to open up the process to our local community has been really important and it's been really well received. So I know we're doing something right, you know, because we are getting audiences to see unusual, non-traditional work. Okay, I want to make sure I'm getting this. I think I am. You're presenting not just the dance, but you're presenting the process of how the dance was made. Yes, and in fact, we are probably presenting more of the process. What we have found, however, is that for our audiences, it's important to see the process, but they've always asked me, so where does it go? What happens next? And so we do either one of two things. We'll either present the work in a small festival format, or we find a regional presenter so our audiences can go and follow. So we're, we're sometimes developing audiences for other institutions as well who are within an hour's drive of where we are. It's an unusual model, and we are continuing to experiment with it. And what we've been finding is that when we give artists the opportunity to think about how they would like to engage audience in their work, it really cracks open a whole new way of thinking for them. And and I think that's really important. We often do master classes and workshops, but I'll give you an example. This year, we're working with a Minneapolis-based choreographer, Emily Johnson, who is Native Alaskan. Her work is very contemporary, and it's also infused with the Native Alaskan perspective. And for this new work that she's developing, she's working with another dancer and two musician composers. And she's envisioning this piece as being a dance that takes place inside an installation of fish skin lanterns. Now, fish skin sewing is a Native Alaskan craft. And she's imagining the installation having light inside these lanterns and sound emanating from them. So when she was in Vermont, they made some prototypes of the lanterns and they mic'd them for sound. And they developed the beginning of the movement and text, the spoken text for this piece. She's coming back in January and we're creating a sewing circle so that people can learn about fish skin sewing. And that's part of her dance residency which is, you think, that sounds crazy. <laughs> but we have a rich community of hand workers, you know, people who are really fantastic with their hands. So people who perhaps wouldn't come to see a contemporary dance performance, they'll get to work with Emily to learn about how to make these objects, and they're actually going to make them for her. Emily needs to make 50 of these over the course of two years, so people will have a chance to really leave their mark on her project. And then it'll be used yes. within the dance. Yes. So so if they're not, let's say, particularly drawn to come to the dance, they might well want to come to see their work on the stage. Yes. And they've gotten to see their work on the stage, or they've gotten to know Emily, who's a really pretty and amazing person. And they have different entry points into the work, is what we're trying to create. And I find that very exciting. And we're working on a very small scale. I mean, where we are in southeastern Vermont, the largest town is Brattleboro, Vermont, which is about 12,000 people. Guilford, Vermont, which is where we're physically based, is 2,000 people. And we work in other rural communities, such as Marlboro, Vermont, which is 1,000 families live there. So we're really talking small. It's a small rural community that doesn't get to have access to contemporary work on a regular basis. Boston is three hours away. New York is four hours away. I think you get the picture. It's a schlep. It's a schlep, yeah. And also we don't have the venues to actually 
fully produce and execute some of these, you know, larger scale works. And so by bringing an artist in their process, we're able to bring this work into our community in a way that is really on a very flexible model. We were able to share resources and bring in lots of community partners along the way. And so it's it's been very well received in our area, even though we're a young, new organization. You know, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but sometimes I pinch myself because, you know, we work on a small scale. We work with three or four artists a year, but those artists each come back three or four times throughout the year. So I feel we're working on a small scale, but we're working deeply, and we're able to give some some space around a project in perspective. Some of these artists, you know, they often make work in their own communities, and it's really useful for them to bring it to a new audience who's not familiar with them and their work and to put it in front of new eyes. And we have a really interesting kind of socioeconomic mix. We have a lot of people working in agriculture, and then we have Small Liberal Arts College. We have the School for International Training, which brings in an international group. But there's a long musical tradition in our area, both traditional music and chamber music. Marlboro is the home of the Marlboro Music Festival, which is an international festival, chamber music festival. So it's a very interesting mix of people who are curious. Well, explain to me, Sarah, when you first began Mm -hmm. the Performance Lab, how you involved people in the community before they knew what you were, before even you actually knew what you were. Well, we we started really slowly, and I feel like it was all about relationships. I I first started with a, a group of advisors who informally advised me on the idea. I brought together a college professor who had been teaching dance a woman who started a a dance program at a local private school, a woman who was leading a dance program at the Career Center program, and a few other non-dance people. And I asked them for their advice and to get feedback on this idea. And we started out very small. We started with two projects. And an important partner in the beginning was Marlboro College. And I knew the college because I'm an alum of the college. And Dana Holby, who had been my professor there, was still teaching in the dance program. And she invited us to come in. She said, please bring this program. And the college president, Ellen Lovell, who was the first executive director of the Vermont um, State Arts Council and who also worked in Washington with Senator Leahy. She has a real deep appreciation of the power of the arts and she really saw that the college should be utilized to support this kind of work because it could, you could see the, the obvious connections between the role of a college or a university in supporting that work and how a college can be a resource for the community, not just the students who are enrolled and taking classes and working with faculty. You started actually with someone who had very deep roots in the community, and you had roots and I had as some well. Roots. Yeah. And I had returned because I'd gone to the college and I knew people, so I returned to an area. And we started slow. You know, it took us two years. You know, in a small place, you want to make sure that you're not duplicating somebody else's efforts. And I wanted to make sure that we were working synergistically rather than competitively with people. So there was some interesting dance training. We have a Brattleboro School of Dance. And there's also a high school career center program in dance. And they were doing such good work in in training dancers. Students coming out of that program would get dance scholarships to some of the leading dance schools in the country. And so we worked in partnership rather than separate from. We worked in partnership with these organizations. And we started small. We didn't want to invest in building a space that would require overhead and maintenance. We wanted to really tap into what was already available. And that's how we got started. And that's where we've we've reached out to expand those partnerships to include 
museums, the youth services program in our area, Rockingham Arts and Museum Project, we work with Amtrak, we work with the municipalities. In very small ways, we see a meeting ground. For example, we did a project that took place on the train and in two train depots, which is, was so percussion in 2008. And the buy-in from businesses, the railroads, it was, it was kind of incredible. So I am a firm believer in collaboration and partnership, and I think that's why we've been able to do what we've been able to do with, with a very small budget. And bringing the audience in at first, how were you able to do that? How, f- how did you fill up the Grange? How did we fill up the Grange? Well, the Grange, it was interesting because now we have a following. So I can't almost answer that. But what we do is we let people know through the Guilford Gazette, which is a homegrown newsletter that goes out through, of course, Facebook, email, and other mailing lists. And when we collaborate with our other organizations, such as our local museum, we share mailing lists, we promote, we get press coverage in the local paper. But also, it's really becoming about word of mouth. Like, we are engaging different people in the community who I consider leaders in the community, and that's how things are spreading, I believe. Because in Guilford, when we did this summer, it was I was a little nervous about doing it at the Grange, thinking, oh my gosh, is anybody going to show up? And when we were so happy that we were able to fit in everybody who showed up, it was fantastic. And it was a whole new audience. When we first started out, it would be people I knew at the college and students and faculty, and then a core group of people who always attend kind of cultural events. And then by bringing in different partners in the process, we're able to kind of build and expand on that audience. And what I love about working in Vermont is you can pick up the phone and get your state legislator on the phone. And it's easy to make things happen because of that. You also said, and you referred to it earlier, you have free master classes. Yes. And are, are the performances free? The works in progress showings are always free. And then we're working on a model where we're going to do a festival every other year, and those are ticketed performances. Now tell me about the master classes. The master classes take so many different forms. Most recently, we had Adele Myers, a New Haven, New York-based choreographer, come, and she did a master class with high school students at the Career Center program and also with college students at Marlboro College. And they were two very different master classes because before she came up, I spoke with the teachers and the professors to find out where the students were coming from and what they needed. And then I could I could connect that with what Adele was working on in her piece. So for example, with the high school students, they have some pretty good technical training and she was able to teach them a phrase from this new work that she's developing, like a section. She was able to teach them the physicality, but what was almost as important that she was trying to communicate is the idea that she's been working on, which is presence and performance. And the students were really excited talking about this idea of presence. And it was done to a Blondie song. And so one of the students had already loaded the Blondie song on her iPod and brought it to class. The sparks started going, and they could see firsthand how somebody other than their teachers is putting together choreography and making the work. So the workshops relate directly to the work that's being made. That's And I've been encouraging artists to do that rather than doing um, a modern dance technique class. We try to make them very connected and melded to the work of the artist so that it makes sense, that it's not an added on thing that they have to do, but really that it's part of them communicating what 
they're all about as an artist. So it seems as though that there's a lot of interaction between the artist and the community. I think so. I mean, it's on a small scale in a way, but it's pretty deep. These high school students are already saying, when is she coming back? And we're doing a daytime performance for a few schools, and these students will be able to come and see her work during their school period for free. And talk to her about it. And be able to talk to her about it and to see the larger company perform work. I'm always delighted because every residency that we've had, there have been such interesting outcomes, including that some of the students then have their own relationships with these artists and email them and call them and stay in touch with them, which is great because I just love it that relationships are made. And there have been a few artists who, after they've been up to the college, for example, they've developed a relationship with a professor. And one of our artists now is in conversation with a, a professor about making a piece together. Not a dance teacher, but professor of religion at the college. And I just love it when things like that happen that extend beyond the boundaries of a residency. And it sounds as though the audience members have a stake in the performer. I think that happens. I feel like we're developing a fan base because the artists are revealing themselves. And I don't ask the artists to do that. They just do it. You know, not in a therapeutic kind of way. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, but they just, they, they make it real. They give access. Right. It's not like this dance has come full-blown out of the choreographer's mind, like Athena from the the head of Zeus. Exactly. Exactly. Which is what we think often. Exactly. I mean, and you think, I could never do that. And, And what we had a few years ago, we worked on a project that took place over the course of 20 months, which involved some of these same high school students, well, students from the same program, and um, Yasuko Yokoshi, a a New York-based choreographer who's originally from Japan, worked with them over 20 months to make a new work, and we brought the kids to New York three times to participate in the Arts Presenters Conference twice and to perform at Judson Church. And the culmination of the project was a performance at The Kitchen in New York. And they got previewed and reviewed. I think they got two reviews in The New York Times. And it was an incredible experience for those 12 students to be able to have this high-level engagement with a with a professional choreographer. It wasn't a kid's piece. She was treating them as if they were professional artists. And what we brought to that project is those students were paid. They each received a stipend of $500 for participating in the project, and we provided housing for them. And we also supported the roles of different collaborators in that project. And so Yasuko's process really cracked open a whole like postmodern dance for them in a very personal way. They had this personal experience with what it means to make work that somebody's a choreographer isn't just coming and saying, do this, do this with your arms, do this with your feet, move this way, but that a work that's generated from your own personal story, which is the method that she worked on with them. So I find it very inspiring, and I feel like it's a privilege to be inside and that close to an artist process. And and I think that's why the people do become invested in these artists in a way that at first it, it really caught me by surprise how quickly people became invested in the work. Let me just ask you, what do you think the role is of the artist in the community? I've been asking what's the role of the artist and what's the role of an arts organization in a community. I think that it's so important for there to be a two-way exchange between an artist and a community, that it's not just an artist coming from the outside and bringing knowledge from outside into a community in kind of a expert to non-expert kind of way. So I do think, however, that 
there is a great value, though, to bring outside perspective into a community. And I think that the role of artists, as I see, is being a mirror to our society. And by just the act of putting up that mirror, I think powerful things can happen. It can provide a community with agency. For example, when these students saw that people were interested in what they had to say, it was really powerful to both the students in the work, but also to the community saying, oh, this is what they see. They are so much wiser than we think they are. So I think the role of the artist is to, to reflect and see. And it's important that we keep those voices and support those voices in, in our communities, especially when there's so many cuts to education right now, not just with the arts, but just education in general, that we have to keep these voices alive and, and empower individuals to be able to speak up and offer their opinion or stand their ground. And I think artists can help communities do that. Sarah Coffey, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I it's really a, appreciate it. That was Sarah Coffey, and we were talking about the Vermont Performance Lab, a laboratory for artistic experimentation and community engagement. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. The music was composed by Joshua Quillen for Adele Meyer's Theater in the Head. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at arts.gov, and now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. Next week, you might know him as the musician John Wesley Harding, but as a novelist, he writes under his own name, Wesley Stace. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. <laughs>